Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight, and, uh, and really this is kind of just a follow-up to last Sunday night and last Sunday morning as well. Just a few thoughts I want to wrap up here out of this text, um, and, and about, it's about striving for unity, that's the idea, um, and fighting for unity, something worth fighting for is kind of the idea. And last Sunday morning we talked about how unity is something we ought to strive for, uh, first because Christ died for it. He died so that we could be unified. He died so that Gentiles and Jews could come together in, in his body and in, spiritually speaking that we could be saved. So listen, he, he died so you could be unified with fellow believers. And I know it's particularly in a local church, but really all of us that are saved have been brought together in Jesus Christ. And so we have unity, something that Jesus Christ died for, if you wonder if unity is worth it or unity is important enough, Jesus died so that we could be unified with God. That's a big deal. Another reason is that even Paul himself risked his life for unity. He was, at the, he was writing this letter from, to Ephesus from Rome. He was in prison at the time and he was in prison because he had been associated with a Gentile. He had been associated with somebody from the, the city of Ephesus, likely somebody that was a member of this church, and he was in Jerusalem, and they accused him of taking a Gentile into the temple, and, and uh, because of his association with a Gentile, then he was in prison. Uh, Paul risked his life for unity. In other words, he didn't really care what people thought about him. He said, no, my unity in Christ with a brother, I don't care if he's a Gentile, I don't care where he comes from, we are unified in Christ and these are, this is my friend. And I'm thankful for that example. The other reason is that we're called to unity. If, if for no other reason, we are called to be unified, we are called to it. And Paul mentions that here in Ephesians chapter 4. And so it's something worth fighting for. So I'd like to just read this and let's go ahead and stand, Ecclesi I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes, don't turn there, Ephesians Chapter 4, um, just the first uh, few verses here, we'll read it and then you, you can be seated and we'll get into wrapping this up. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, it says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now remember, um, we are, uh, what, the idea here is that all of the things that we have in Christ are a heavy weight. Um, there's a lot on this side of the scale. You've got eternal life. You have victory over sin. You have assurance of your salvation. You have all of these things over there. And a lot of times as Christians, we just kind of live like this. We say we've received all the benefits, but we don't really live in a way that walks worthy of those benefits. And Paul says you need to balance out the benefits you've received with the way that you live. Here's what you've received. And if you want to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called then you need to live the way I'm about to tell you to live here in Ephesians chapter 4 to balance that out. We have a lot of Christians that are like this. We've received the benefits of salvation, but we haven't submitted to the life that Jesus Christ expects us to live and in reflection of him. And that's verse 1. He says in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Thank you for standing for God's word. You may be seated and we'll jump in here. As mentioned last time, the biggest threat to our church is not persecution from the outside. 
Um, it, our biggest threat is division from the inside. Our biggest threat is division from within. Remember last week, I made you, I'm going to make you do it again. You look at the person next to you. All right, you ready? Look at them and say, you are the problem. Okay, right? Now take your finger and point it at your chest and look at yourself if you can and say, I am the problem. Uh, thank you, Gavin. Gavin was very vocal and we all agree. Gavin, yes. Gavin is not. No, we, we, uh, it's not outside that's the problem. It's not what's happening out there that's likely to take us down. It's not what you're reading on Fox News that will likely be the end of Eastside Baptist Church. No, if Eastside Baptist Church isn't around in 10 years, the issue has probably not come from the outside. The issue has come from right here within. And, and, and those of you that have been around church very long, then you know and you've probably seen it. How the things that take a church down are not the things coming from outside. It's the division from the inside. If you've ever been a part of a church that went through that kind of a struggle, that went through that kind of a difficulty, you know it wasn't the outside that was the issue. And so we must then put in the effort. That's what he says in verse 3. Endeavoring. Endeavoring means that we diligently put in the effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know, and, and we talk about division. You say, why are you talking about conflict at church? Well, the Bible is full of conflict, interpersonal conflict, people that should have known better. I mean, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve produced two sons, Cain and Abel. They had conflict. Uh, the, the first king of, of Israel, his name was Saul, and he had a young man rise up that threatened him, and they had seven years of conflict. Saul and David, they should have known better. Saul should have known better. Uh, you've got people like Paul and Barnabas in the New Testament dealing with conflict. We, we looked last week at a Philippians chapter 4 and these, these two folks in the church at Philippi. Paul said you need to be of the same mind in the Lord. We need the mind of Christ if we are to overcome conflict and overcome division. And then we looked at Philippians 2 and how the mind of Christ really gives us, it lays out um, how we're supposed to have uh, unity in the spirit and overlooking the things that cause division. Unity, is t it takes effort. The reason that we're told so often in Paul's epistles to have unity and not, not, deal, not let division take us uh, down is because it's an issue. And the idea was this, that the things worth fighting for are greater than the things we often find ourselves fighting over. The things we're fighting for are greater than the things we fight over. There are things worth fighting for. There, there's the glory of God in the church in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, in Ephesians 3.10 we talked about how God's wisdom is revealed in these heavenly places to the principalities and powers. In other words that if you and I, if, or and specifically the church at Ephesus, if the church at Ephesus as Jews and Gentiles can be unified. What Paul says is you're going to teach a lesson to the universe about the wisdom of God. That's who's watching. That's who's paying attention to the New Testament churches, to Eastside Baptist Church. There are people, there are principalities and powers in heaven and they're scratching their head thinking, how did God do this? How did God bring somebody from, um, I look back there, David Morris, from California and, and his background, and then somebody from South Dakota, um, Eric Van Zee, you know, that uh, California and South Dakota, no, people don't lump those two together. People don't think, okay, California and South Dakota, pretty much the same thing. 
Now, if you've been to California, you know there's more people on a city block than our entire state. You know, it's not the same. And yet, only Jesus Christ can give us a bond that's unbreakable uh, because of who, what he's done on the cross. He's reconciled us. He's unified us. There are things worth fighting for, but very often we find ourselves fighting over things. So how do we fight for unity? Well, last week we looked at one point that unity starts with love. That if you have the right kind of biblical love toward other people, that you, that you will be able to have unity. It starts with that in verse 2. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Love should be the defining characteristic of Eastside Baptist Church. Love should be what people know us for, not our professionalism, not our music, not our programs, not our building. This is a beautiful building. It's the first thing people notice when they come in. Uh, but it shouldn't take long for them to say that church is known by love more than their building. Uh, it should not be uh, about our energy. I want energy. We, it should not be about our attendance. We, we want many people to come so that we can impact people for Christ. But it shouldn't be about our size. It shouldn't be about the preaching. It shouldn't be about the programs and about our Sunday school and about our children's ministry. No, those things, as important as they are, um, the most important thing that we could ever be known by is our love. That's what Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35. He says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And honestly, it'd be easier to focus on the, on the other things. It would be easier to say, okay, listen, we're going to be known for our music. So this year, we're really going to amp up our music program. We're really going to train. We're going to get better. We could do that. We really could focus. And I'm not saying we shouldn't improve our music, um, but, but it almost would be easier to focus on the peripherals than it would be to focus on biblical love. It's easier to have one act of heroic sacrifice than it is to live a daily life of biblical love. It's easier for somebody in the throes of, of urgency and an emergency to give their life for somebody else than it is to, on a day-by-day -day basis, live with biblical love and show that to each other. It's honestly, I believe, probably the hardest thing that we're called to do as a church and as Christ's disciples. Love is difficult. It has to happen daily. We have to spend a whole life trying to love others biblically. So we talked about the word forbear and the word long-suffering here in Ephesians 4.2. And, and those words essentially mean to cover. That, that you don't just, the first time somebody makes a mistake, write them off. No, to forbear means to cover, to overlook, or to forgive when you are wronged. People in church are going to hurt you. People in church, like I said this morning, are going to disappoint you. People are broken. But Ephesians 4.2 is about forbearance, which means that we choose to hide the blemishes in other people so that we could love them biblically, so that we could strive for unity. There's a difference between, and I brought some today. Now, this is not mine. I talked about concealer last week. This is my wife's, okay? I don't think she needs it, but concealer, it's never, it never gets used because she doesn't need makeup. So, concealer. You know, and last week we talked about the difference between a concealer, and I know this isn't like, uh, this isn't a highlighter necessarily, maybe, like, I don't, is there a highlighter in makeup? Okay, well, this is a highlighter on paper. I don't even know. Oh. Be thankful I don't know that, okay? <laughs> See, most churches are really good at using a highlighter. 
In other words, when somebody fails or somebody does something that you don't like and you take the highlighter out and you mm, make it easier to see. If somebody says something you don't like, somebody does something that you think is offensive, somebody calls your kids out for running in the church, which, you know, we ought to, we ought to help each other with that one, by the way. Uh, somebody does, does something that you don't like, somebody's kid does something that you don't like to your child. And I mean, all of these things were really good at the highlighter. But what, what Paul is saying here in the, church, in the book of Ephesus is we ought to be also, really, we ought to be better at applying concealer. You know, in other words, if it's not a matter of doctrine, it's not a matter of purity uh, of doctrine or belief, it's not a biblical issue, then we need to pull this one out and apply this one because that's how unity happens. Amen. If we want a church that, that doesn't have to be afraid of going through a split or doesn't have to be afraid of division, then we need to be more about the concealer than we are about the highlighter. See, a person with concealer chooses not to respond when some, somebody says something rude or condescending. You know what? Believe it or not, that's going to happen in church. A person, a church member with uh, with a highlighter responds uh, to it with ver by speaking out or saying something, and then they talk about it. A person that um, a church member with concealer forgives when they're wrong. A church member with a highlighter those holds a grudge and seeks revenge. See, biblical church members uh, use concealers more than highlighters. Unfortunately, though, um, as, as human beings, we're very good at this. And church splits start with this. Church splits starts with church, start with church members that hold highlighters and refuse to let things go and hold on to offenses and talk to other people about it and, and put their feelings above the health of a church family. But love, love forbears. Love covers. Love is willing to let things go for the sake of unity. Unity, it begins with biblical love. And you say, well, you know, shouldn't things be dealt with? Yes, there are times that biblical love means that you deal with things. But I would, I would say that most of the things we want to deal with aren't biblical issues enough um, that, that they need to be taken to that level. And now if you believe that something should be taken to that level, then stop talking to everybody else about it and go to the person about it. You know, that's, that's how a, church, a healthy church operates. Is that biblical love means that if you're not willing to use concealer, then deal with it with the person and don't make a bigger issue of it than it needs to be. And, and you know, make sure, I mean, if it's a matter of your concern for their spiritual lives, go talk to them about it. Love forbears, it covers. And really, church unity starts with love. That's where it starts. That's the root of all of these things. But unity is preserved. Number two, unity is preserved with humility. So in other words, we start, when, as a church, we begin our striving for unity with love, biblical love. But so how do we maintain that? How do we keep that? Well, we keep that through humility. Through constantly and continually choosing to have humility instead of letting our pride de um, affect our interactions. We, we looked at these words last Sunday morning, lowliness and meekness. Lowliness is having an, a humble opinion of yourself. Meekness is gentleness. See, Paul is saying this, that it is possible to be happy and content when things don't go the way you like them to. 
It's possible to be content in Jesus Christ when you don't like something. It's possible to respond with grace. It's possible to respond with kindness no matter the situation. It's possible not to speak your mind when you really want to. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's possible. And, and by the way, then that leads me then to the thought, I don't know that most of us connect humility with our speech, but I think we ought to. See, very often the reason that things escalate is because we don't control our speech. I mean, think about that. You ever seen two people in a hallway? I, I went to public school, so I saw this probably more than I wanted to, but you ever seen two people in a hallway and they walk up to each other without ever exchanging a word and just start punching? Well, not typically, right? What, is, what does a fight begin with? Words. This one says something and that one says something. And then, and then and it escalates. And eventually those words turn into something. See, but think about it. If we could deal with our pride at the speech level. If we could have humility on the speech level. Think about how, uh, how many uh, divisions that would avoid later down the road. If we could just learn in our speech... To be humble. And, and you say, well, I'm not sure I see the connection. Well, um, I think about what Peter said about Jesus Christ. Listen to his words. Peter said this in 1 Peter 2. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. This is 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. Leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Okay? And if you've ever heard of that book, uh, My Utmost for His Highest... Um, you know, what would Jesus do? The idea in his steps that we do what he would do. He, it says this, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he reviled, was he reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And the idea there is that the example that we have in Jesus Christ is if you want to practice humility, practice it on the, the word, the speech level. Because the, our ultimate example of humility was Jesus Christ and he could have said something. He could have responded. He could have let his emotions out. He could have come back with, a, uh, with an insult had he chosen to. But in his humility, and nobody had the humility of Jesus Christ, but in his humility, his primary trait was that he was humble enough to control his speech. In other words, he didn't allow the situation to escalate because he couldn't control the words he was using. And that happens far too often in a church setting in that it is our, it's our, the problem begins with, the, with our inability to, to humbly control our speech. There's a connection here that Paul definitely makes. It, he encourages the church here in Ephesians 4 to be humble. But then my, a lot of his application actually goes into speech. Look down at verse 15. So again, he's, he's laid out the foundation. You need to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Be lowly, be meek. Look at verse 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow us up into all things, which is the head, even Christ. He's talking about uh, how that we ought to deal with each other by speaking the truth in love. There's the word again. Look down in verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And what does the new man look like? Wherefore, putting away lying. 
He says, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Look down at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I think it's very, it is, it is a just an appropriate application of humility and the bond of peace and the spirit of unity to apply this to the way that we speak to each other because Paul does it. And, and very often what the reason that things escalate and the reason that unity is not there is because uh, we're not humble enough to control our speech. So Paul essentially lays it out like this. He says a humble church member is willing to control their speech for the good of the body. Well, what kind of speech gets us into trouble? There's all kinds of speech. Uh, I'm just thinking, well, we'll just start with gossip. You know, and sometimes, and I'm not saying this about Eastside Baptist Church. I'm thankful that I'm not having to deal with things, you know, in, a, in an intervention kind of a way, but a prevention way tonight. But we get far too comfortable sometimes referring to someone negatively when they're not around. Not just Eastside, I mean human beings. You know, it's easy to spread information and it's easy to, you know, to present information that really is slanderous or misrepresents somebody. It's easy as a human being to be far too comfortable sharing unproven personal information about somebody. And sometimes then we present it in a way like we're concerned or it's a prayer request. And I guess if you say bless their heart, you can say whatever you want. But let's be straight. If you don't want someone else saying that about you, you ought not say that about them. But really, there's a bigger reason, and that's this. The Lord hates gossip. The Lord hates a divisive tongue. The Lord hates that. In these six things, Proverbs, 16, Proverbs 6, these 16, six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies... And he that soweth discord among brethren. Now three of the six or seven are, are about the tongue. And that's a heavy list, isn't it? That's, that, that's hard stuff. That's hard to hear. Uh, a lying tongue, a false witness, he that soweth discord. And listen, uh, I, just so I want to say it the right way, you're putting yourself in God's crosshairs when you speak about others negatively if they're not around. And that he hates that. He despises that. And not to mention the damage you do to their reputation. You know, that you, you devalue another person if you spread information about them that presents them negatively. A good name, the Bible says, is rather to be chosen than great riches. So a good name is a resource. A good name is treasure. A good name is riches. If you would be hurt by somebody saying that about you, don't say it about them. Because that's devaluing their name. And you say, but it's the truth. Well, if it's the truth, then speak the truth in love to the person directly, not about them. A good name is treasure. And, and, if, and listen, if it's treasure and we're hurting somebody's good name, that is stealing from them. That's devaluing something that means something to them. That's serious business. And gossip has no place in a church that's fighting for unity. 
And if you want to help our church fight for unity, then the next time that somebody gossips or starts saying something about it, then, then say, I don't, I don't really want to hear that information. We have no, no business talking about that. Or ask them, have you shared this concern with that person directly? Let's go right now and talk to them about it. That usually nips the biggest problems right in the bud right there. Because as soon as you say, let's go talk to them about it, people don't normally want to do that. And what they're proving is that what they're talking about isn't a big enough issue to deal with. Yeah, because if they don't want to go do it or talk about it, and they just want to kind of vent or just share their heart, um, but if they don't want to go deal with it, then obviously it's not a biblical or big enough issue to deal with or confront somebody with. And that means that it's ungodly then to engage in a conversation with some, about somebody when they're not around. You know, David Gibbs, I, I heard he was riding in the car with a pastor who started talking about another pastor one time. By the way, I've been in that situation. I wish I had the, uh, the courage of David Gibbs. I was a young, a young staff member at the time. But here David Gibbs, he pulls out his phone. And he says, hey, let's call him. I'm friends with that guy. And the other pastor said, wait, I just heard these things secondhand. And then they awkwardly drove to their stop. You know, it's the truth. You know, if you, if you will say, listen, as a church, I believe in unity over, over um, me believing in what this conversation's about right now. In other words, I have bigger things that I believe God wants to do with our church than sink to these levels. And so we'll either deal with this directly or, or we'll go talk to them directly or we'll drop it and, and end this conversation right now because we have bigger things to do as a church. We have more important things to do. It's amazing how humility translates into our speech habits. Whether or not a person is humble or proud will be revealed by the words. And listen, our, the words of its members affect a church big time. Our inability to control our speech when we want to say something. Our inability um, to, to refrain from talking about somebody when we want to. And we've got to be mindful of the humility that it takes um, to control our speech. So uni uni unity begins with love. And unity is preserved with humility on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. If we want to preserve unity, we must be humble and gentle and lowly and long-suffering with each other. But the third is this, unity is strengthened by a spirit of forgiveness. So you, it starts with love, that you want unity, then you kind of like you build the foundation of love. But on a weekly basis, if you want to preserve the unity, then you have to be humble in your interactions with people. Um, but the ultimate example and the way to really strengthen unity is a church that has a spirit of forgiveness. So love, humility, and forgiveness. Look what he says. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Long-suffering, that's the spirit that has the power to take revenge but refuses to. That's what long-suffering means. And if you're willing to fight for unity, you have to be okay with giving people the benefit of the doubt sometimes. This is an issue. I'm not saying it Eastside. I'm saying with humans. It's an issue to give people the benefit of the doubt. See, if they say an unkind word, if you're a highlighter person, if they say an unkind word... You say, well, they're not spiritual, they're not right with God, I can't believe what they, what they did, what they said, and uh, you write them off. That's a highlighter person. But a concealer person says, no, I, maybe that was just a moment out of character. 
Maybe they were just having a bad day. You know, I'm not going to make an issue of it because I don't know what they're going through. I'm not going to highlight that because, because I wouldn't want somebody highlighted about me if I had a moment of weakness. You know, if they're rude or they're short with you, be willing to say, I, I know I've had my bad moments. I've had my bad days. I, I've had times where I woke up and I said, I don't want to go to church today. No, I had to get that right. But there are times when I have a bad day. And I, I mean, we all do. And, and, but, but because I have, then I'm going to let it go. It's not big enough to turn it into a problem. So rather than highlighting the fact that they had a bad day, then I'm going to conceal it with forgiveness. See, this is called grace. You know, if he or she did or said that, and you hear about it or you see it, you must just say, it must have just been a bad day. It was a moment of weakness. Listen, have you ever had a moment when you said something out of character? Okay, if you have had a moment where you said something that you regretted immediately afterwards, would you, would you just raise your hand real quick? Okay, so I'm looking around. Okay, if you've never said anything you ever regretted, raise your hand. Okay, oh, friendly, wow. The ultimate example of holiness. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass her. Uh, it, we all have these these moments, don't we? We have moments. We have these moments where, where, where we are out of character. It's not what we wanted to do, it's, but it comes. And if that's the case in your life, would you rather somebody walk around with a highlighter or somebody walk around with concealer? Have you ever just had a bad day? You don't know why? You wake up and you just don't like anybody? <laughs> yes, Brother Jeremy. Thank you. Every noise drives you crazy. Everything your child does, everything your husband does, wives. Notice I didn't say everything your wives do because I'm smarter than that. You ever said anything that you regretted that you shouldn't say afterwards? Have you, if you've said yes to any of those questions, you are obligated to forgive. Based on the last two verses of this chapter. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And he kind of wraps it all up with a bow right here. Because what he's saying is this, if, if you've ever received the benefits of forgiveness then you should be, you should be long-suffering and you should be a concealer and you should be forbearing because you've benefited from it. And what he's essentially saying is this, forgiven people should forgive people. Amen. Forgiven people should forgive people. If you've ever received the benefit of the doubt, if God has ever overlooked something or dealt with something in your life and moved forward... If, if anybody's ever forgiven you of something that you felt like, man, they'll, they'll never forgive me, but they did. Listen, if that's the case, then why are you holding on to things that somebody has done to you? Listen, we've all offended God far worse than anybody has ever offended us. Our sins against God are worse than anything that anybody could do to you. And yet he, for Christ's sake, 
have forgiven us. And listen, this is what it means to submit to the bonds of peace. What, like Paul talks about in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. What he's saying is that instead of letting your feelings rule how you operate... Instead of letting your feelings dictate how you respond and what you do and how you feel and what you say, you place yourself under the bonds of peace. You place yourself under this idea that there is truth that I can live by instead of simply responding with my feelings and responding how I want to. And you say, well, why? Why, do we sh- why should we do this? Why do we have to? Well, for the sake of unity. That you must recognize that unity is the mark of a genuine New Testament church. And without it, you can't, we can't glorify God like we're supposed to. We can't display the unifying work of the gospel to the world like we're supposed to unless we're unified. We basically then, if, listen, we basically sell our purpose for personal rights. That we say, no, my rights are bigger than the purpose of this New Testament church. And I know we're supposed to glorify God. And I know that I'm supposed to uh, present the gospel to the world. And, and I know all of these things are possible. I'm, no, I'm supposed to reveal the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in those high places. I know that's our purpose. But I want justice right now in this situation. And rather than saying, I will, I will put aside my rights or my feelings for the bigger purpose of this church. We say, no, I want mine. I want revenge, I want justice, I will not let this go. And this is the ultimate form of selfishness. But the bonds of peace will cause us to say, no, I'm bound by peace. Meaning there is truth that I must operate by because there's something bigger at stake. And what here's, it comes right back to it. I know I've used this CIT, three of the last four messages, but it's worth it here. The things worth fighting for are greater than the things that we're fighting over. We're choosing between me being right and God being glorified. We're choosing between me having the last word and the gospel being lifted up. We're choosing between my feelings or God's truth. Listen, will you trade the things worth fighting for like unity and God's glory and the testimony of the gospel just so you can have your way? Just so you can take revenge? Just so you can get back at someone? Listen, it's not worth it. There's something bigger at stake than your pride. So be willing to let go of the things you're fighting over so our church can enjoy the things we're fighting for. Be willing to put, put up your highlighter and pull out your concealer. And choose forgiveness instead of responding with your words. And be silent even though you'd love to make a comment. And be humble when your pride wants to take over. Walk away instead of engaging in gossip. Give grace the way that God gave grace to you. Instead of just writing somebody off in the moment. See if we would have this mindset of unity... Most of our church problems would never rise above the level of annoyance. Think about that. If we could get what we're talking about here today, then most of our church problems would never rise above the level of, oh, that's annoying. Now, there's, there's, there's annoying things all the time. 
I'm annoying. I know it. I knew Brother Jeremy would say that. I mean, sometimes I'm walking around the house and I'm singing at the top of my lungs. Just because I do that sometimes. Come around the corner and my wife is like, like, I'm annoying. I whistle really loud. Sometimes I do it in the car. And I know it drives her crazy. I eat dill pickle sunflower seeds. My wife hates the smell of dill pickle. It, it drives her crazy. I know that I'm annoying. But see, here's the thing. We're married, so there's a commitment to something bigger. There's a commitment to a marriage that allows you to overlook the things that really ought to be just annoyances, but sometimes we turn them into offenses. And we make them way bigger than they're supposed to be. And if you're married, you know what that's like. If you're a husband, you really know what it's like to be extended grace all the time. If you're married, then you know what it's like to have a commitment to something greater than those small things that will get you down. And every day, then we just need to decide, am I, is this going to be a highlighter kind of day? Or is this going to be a concealer kind of day? Because if there's something worth fighting for, then I want to focus on that. Rather than the things that I could be fighting over. Now, I read a story about two men, they were standing on a bridge, and I'm going to read this. But one's about to jump off and the other is trying to talk him out of it. So the man asked the jumper, he says, so are you a Christian? Are you a Hindu? Are you a Jew? I mean, what, 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 what are you? He says, well, the jumper says, I'm a Christian. And the man says, oh, me too. Great. What denomination? And the jumper says, Baptist. Although I take issue with that, I don't know that we're, we're not official of Baptist. We're independent, okay? Bless God. We're not a denomination. But the man replies, well, me too. Are you Southern Baptist or Northern Baptist? And the jumper says, I'm Northern Baptist. The man replies, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And the jumper says, Northern Conservative Baptist. And the man replies, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region? Or Northern Conservatives Baptist Eastern Region? And the jumper answers, Northern Conservatives Baptist Great Lakes Region. And the man says, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? The jumper answers, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of Council of 1912. The man then pushes the jumper off the bridge and screams, heretic! <laughs> Listen, that's how trivial division can be sometimes. See, we take something not worth fighting over and make it the cause we're fighting for. And the things worth fighting for are ignored because we're fo focused on the things we're fighting over. And let's determine that Eastside Baptist Church is going to continue to focus on the things we're fighting for. 
See, that happens when church members decide to be biblical in their responses and to be humble in their words. And instead of, and it's and not just in how we talk to each other, but about how we talk about each other and, and how we interact with each other and how we forgive each other and, and, and how we cover the small things instead of blowing them out of proportion with a highlighter. See, unity begins with love. And it's preserved with humility and it is strengthened by a spirit of forgiveness, but sometimes boy, we push each other off the bridge over the smallest things. And let's not be a church like that. Because there's something big that God wants to do with Eastside Baptist Church. And I really believe that we've got good days ahead. We've got good days now, but good days ahead. But if we want to be a church that glorifies God with our unity, then we have to believe that the things worth fighting for are greater than the things we too often find ourselves fighting over. And I don't, I don't see that happening, thankfully. But, I, but really, in, in one week, it could start happening. With one interaction, it could start happening. It could happen with one word said by one child to another child that a mom hears and responds to, that another mom responds to. And all because we chose to live like this, then all the unity that has been fought for and prayed for and striven for and worked hard for for those years and years and years that Eastside's been in existence, over 60, then all of, those, all of that effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace just kind of goes out the window because we chose to live with one of these instead of living with this. So it's time to decide, and I know we have, I'm thankful, because there are many, many interactions, there are many, many days and many conversations where people choose this instead of this. Just understand that if, if the one conversation that you choose to live with this could be the one that divides our church. So just decide you're not going to be the one. I mean, if somebody else is going to do it, then, well, I hope it doesn't happen, but I just know this, it's not going to be me, because I'm going to live like this. If we want to have Eastside fulfill the purposes, the things worth fighting for, then we need to be careful that we aren't fighting over things that matter far less than our great purposes. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's do some business with the Lord tonight. And listen, I, I know that, again, this is not an issue for most people, but it could be an issue. And if you, if you come with the wrong spirit, you come with, um, with the, in the wrong mindset one day, you really could do damage to a church that's fought for, for the unity that we have. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be the one. So I'm choosing, I'm going to operate with a concealer instead of a highlighter. And I hope that you'll do the same thing.